Thank you so much for giving to our church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, easy enough to open up today to Genesis chapter 4, unless you have a really big introduction in your Bible and a whole lot of table of contents, it should be quick to turn to Genesis chapter 4 today. Also would like for you to turn or put a bookmark in 1 John chapter 3, uh, that passage... Um, surprisingly enough, has a lot to say about Genesis chapter 4. So we'll be turning there at the end of our time. We'll begin in just a moment in chapter 4 of Genesis. Um, I want to kind of set the table for us today and, and, and show you, uh, speak about something that I think is similar to what God is doing in this chapter. You might disagree, but I think there's something there. Um, I think all of us, I know all of us are different ages and, and we come here from different uh, places in life and we've grown up in different periods of life. But um, I think there's a few experiences that are pretty universal, pretty relatable. Um, I may be wrong, but I have a hunch that this particular thing will resonate with most of you. Uh, remember back, and this is a dreadful memory for a lot of us, it, it might, probably why my stomach's in knots this morning, uh, thinking back to some of the terrible experiences I, I had in, in school, and, and I loved, I, lo I had some great teachers, but school was sometimes not, not the best place. But um, I, uh, I remember back, I remember back when you were in school, when you were taking a test, again, even worse than just being at school is, is taking the test that you had to take. Um, there's probably nothing more unnerving Nothing more stomach churning uh, than when the teacher would pass out the papers and everyone, uh, you know, everybody was told to shush and, and you had to separate from each other or, you know, spread out a little bit. Um, and, and you had ever, however amount of time to complete the test. And, and there was always that, that one kid in retrospect that I'm pretty sure it was just strategic or he was just being chaotic or they were just being chaotic uh, where they would just make as much noise as possible. And you're trying to get in the zone of taking the test and, you know, you've, you, you've really psyched yourself up as much as you can for it. And, and then there's this kid that sharpens his pencil a hundred times and you're you're thinking there's not much left of that pencil, right? Uh, but he keeps getting up and going, you know, and, and he's looking at people's, you know, not, not just the boys, but you know, they're looking at the, at the other people's papers while they're walking by and everybody's paranoid and everybody's stressed out, especially when it was an exam or, or a big end of year thing. Um, but th that was kind of an, a good distraction, but, but not always, uh, always so good. Um, you know, it break concentration. Uh, but no matter how prepared I was for, for any test, uh, no matter how keen I was on the subject matter, um, I, you know, I would always just get sick on my stomach whenever it was, was time to take the test. And, and I, I, it was just this combination of pressure and expectation. And, and there's a reason, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, in those situations that they cause us to dig deeper and kind of discover how to problem solve. So I think those are good things to be placed into as kids and, and growing up. But in the moment, <laughs> there's nothing good about it. Um, but, but hopefully... Hopefully, uh, you know, as we, this all has taken us back to that one memory. Maybe you have a particular memory uh, being in class. Uh, the room is quiet as night. Um, you know, some kids are head down. Some kids, they, they don't even, they're not even going to try. They're just going to write their name on it and just say, hey, I'm going to take a nap because I'm not going to do good on this thing anyway. Uh, and, and then there's some people just staring off into the void. You know, there's always that person that you're just looking up like, what are they looking at? They're just looking. They don't know what they're looking at, right? They're just, oh, Lord, how long is this going to last? And waiting, waiting for the Spirit of God maybe to speak and tell them the answers. Um, um, but uh, but then there was but was the teacher and, and God bless all of our teachers they, they're doing the Lord's work and and you know got a lot that, that's on their plate you know it's a labor of love if you're if you're in that business but every teacher had a different approach when when tests were being administered um, some would just leave the room which I always thought was a setup because I, I, had, I remember I had a teacher in high school as soon as the test would start he just leave the room and I'm thinking. You know who's you know how what kind of people we are, right? I mean, you leave the room, people are just going to go crazy or you know cheat and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I could share all kind of stories of, of of you know just the the antics that would go on when people would just leave the room and then it would just become a circus and you would think, are, you know, is it legal for them to have a camera? Are they watching us? You know, is it just some sort of a weird you know deal? But um, you know, then there was that kid that would you know when the teacher was gone, it would stand up and just start asking questions because hey, why not? 
But some uh, teachers would just sit at their desk and, um, and they would just read a book or, you know, look on their computer. Um, and, uh, you know, there was always that one kid that would ask you to go to the bathroom a hundred times so you could hear the teacher and them talking. Um, but, but then there was the teacher. And, and again, I'm not, you know, if you're, if you're a teacher, you know, if this is your, your tactic, I'm, again, don't take offense to it initially, maybe. Um, but there was always that teacher, and, and I always thought about what would I do if I was, if I was uh, a teacher in that kind of setting? Because, um, you know, I am kind of a teacher, but I'm stuck in one place. Um, but, but what if, you know, there was always that teacher that uh, would just kind of wander around the room, and, and then they would, uh, you know, pick a spot, and they would stand there, right? And, and usually they would always stand over, a, you know, a student's shoulder, and they would just kind of stand there, and, you're, and, you know, you would look at the student, and you could just see the student just seething, right? What is going on? Because behind them is this presence that, that you know, clearly is making them uncomfortable. But, but then the teacher would move to, to your shoulder, and, and maybe you remember this. And again, we don't know why they did what they did. That's just kind of what would happen, and if you did this as a teacher, that's, that's okay. You probably had your reasoning, but uh, I, I just Googled this, and, and there's all kind of crazy stock images on the internet. I don't know what for, but, you know, that's the internet. Uh, I found a stock image of this poor guy, and, and there's this teacher over his shoulder. I think she's scolding him, but I just wanted to put a picture up here for you to, to remember what it was like. Uh, he's just thinking, what is going on? And, and, and again, obviously, that's not a real, you know, not a real in-the-moment picture, but just some sort of scenario. Uh, but, but I remember talking, uh, t- talking to people after test, and, and they would admit, as soon as the teacher came over my shoulder and started watching me, I was done. I mean, as soon as they were there, the pressure reached a peak, and I, I just couldn't do it. And I know, I know I'm dramatizing this a little bit, but, you know, when, it's, when in seventh grade, when, you know, you're taking that, that big exam, you know, th- that's like standing on trial. That's how much pressure that feels like. Um, but I had the realization one day during a test that, uh, and, and maybe this happened to everybody. If it didn't happen to you, I'm sorry. If, if the only time, if every time the teacher stood over your shoulder, it, there was never any good thing that came out of that. Again, I'm sorry if I brought about some bad memories, but I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, um, I remember a particular math test, it was like in the fourth or fifth grade, and uh, I was breezing through it honestly, and then I got to an equation or problem that was just like the Berlin Wall, I wasn't going to get past it, and you know, I felt pretty good about the test, and I was just completely devastated about this one problem that I just couldn't solve, uh, and meanwhile, the teacher had moved to my vicinity and was standing over my shoulder, and, and she was just watching me, you know, I, I guess I was attempting to do the problem or attempting to solve the problem, uh, and, and I must have looked distraught or something something. Finally, finally, the teacher, this is the only time this ever happened, never before, never after. So again, I think it was just God, you know, was really working with this one teacher this day. She leaned over my shoulder and she just whispered to me a a few hints. And then I, it dawned on me as soon as she said that, I'm like, wow, I know what to do now. And, and I noticed the rest of the year that she would do that during tests. That, yeah, at first I thought, well, she's just doing what every teacher does. She's just going to stand there and make you feel awkward. But then I noticed that every once in a while she would lean down um, and she would give you a hint. Not tell you the answer, but just would help you along in the process as you were trying to figure out how to divide fractions or whatever we were doing. And it dawned on me. The teacher wasn't standing over my shoulder or anyone's shoulder at that particular class. Wasn't standing over to intimidate us, but in case they could intervene for us. Again, never happened again, so it probably isn't the norm. I don't know why people do what they do. Everybody has different tactics, and of course, you know, observing kids is an important thing. But, but I think it probably happened more than just for me, and maybe it happened for you, and if it didn't, I'm sorry. I'm glad it happened to me that one time, though. But it wasn't to intimidate me. It was to intervene. It was to help. It was to nudge me in the right direction. 
Now, I, I don't know about you, but maybe that was just one class, one teacher, one point in my life. But going forward, going forward, anytime I would sit down for a big test, anytime that a teacher would move around the room, anytime that a teacher would observe me while I was taking a test, um, it didn't bother me anymore. And I knew good and well that some of them weren't going to help. And if I asked them, they weren't going to help. I knew that. But because of that one moment of intervention, that pressure, that relief was there on my shoulders that, hey, they're not there to intimidate me. They're just there to help. You know, there's a moment early on in the story of humanity, as early as we can get really, where God uses this same approach over one of the earliest people, one of the first people to ever live. In this critical early moment of human history, during the greatest test of a man's life, God confronted him and gave him the answer to the test that he was facing in his life. It was the greatest test he could ever face. And God leaned over his shoulder and said, hey, buddy, not here to intimidate you, not here to upset you, not here to try to you know, discipline you or scold you, but I'm here to give you the answer you need to pass this. Let's not hide it. This is a big test. This is a do or die moment in your life. But I'm here tell you how you can pass the test. And I think that the reason this is one of the few moments in history where we read that God did this to people, not that God doesn't give help to people and intervene, but in this particular way, this is one of the few moments in history that we read about God doing this to, to, to any given person. And I really think it was a message sent to every person to come about a particular issue that all of us all of us, good thing you're here, all of us struggle with. And you might deal with it more than you realize. So the story that we're talking about is one that we're all familiar with. We've opened up to it in Genesis 4. It's the story of Cain and Abel, the first, the two children of the first family, Adam and Eve. And not everybody knows, uh, not everybody I think knows what happens in the story. We all kind of know the setup. But I don't think everyone knows about the exchange in the middle of the story where God attempts to intervene, where God attempts to prevent the tragedy that we all know that takes place. So I want to jump into the story, and then I'm going to focus on the particular exchange that, that I'm referring to. So Genesis 4, 1 through 7 is where we'll start. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. His name meant strong or mighty Ma'am, she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, so he was a shepherd. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, so he was a gardener. He was a worker in the field. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Now we're going to find out, he's not angry at God. It might seem like he's angry at God, but he's not angry at God. He's ang angry at Abel, which again, we think, what, what is he mad at him for? We'll talk about it. But God says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? God says, Cain, I know, this is, I know this whole living thing's new to you. It's new to all of us, right? You're, one of the, you're the third band that's ever been alive. I know this whole life thing is new to you, but, but, but listen, you don't realize it, but this, this, this emotion that you've let take over you, 
Every, it has changed your entire presence. It, it has eaten you up from the inside out. You might not realize it because how would you realize it? You're the third person to ever live, which is why I'm making a big deal about this. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well or if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Why are you angry at Abel? If you just do what you need to do, don't worry about him. If you just do what you should do, everything will be okay. But if you do not do well, if you do not do what is right, sin lies at the door. Again, this is brand new. Sin just, ca- sin just entered the room back in chapter 3. So this is all brand new. But sin, literally, he's using the phrase like a lion crouching or, or about to jump on its prey. Sin is at the door preying on you. Its desire is for you as in it wants to control you. But you should or you must rule over it. Now, this is the funny thing about human nature that we'll never truly appreciate, but we can hardly deny that it's true or that it's real. Pertaining anger. We often get angry at people for reasons we can't really explain. Yet in the moment, it feels like the most appropriate reaction. Abel brings an offering to God in line with how God taught his parents. Now, if you know the story, Adam and Eve sin, right? They fall from God. Uh, God comes to them and says, hey, I'm going to make this right. It's, my, not, it's not my fault, your fault, but hey, I love you and I'm going to redeem you. So I'm going to provide an offering in the future for your sin. But to show you what it's going to be like, uh, I'm going to sacrifice an animal and I'm going to clothe you in those animal skins because you are naked and you feel vulnerable. You feel ashamed. I'm going to clothe you in these animal skins, but this animal is going to be the offering for your sin because one day I'm going to provide an offering for all sin. So teach your children to bring an offering to me that it's not about what they do to be right or to be justified or to be, to be saved. It's not about their works, but it's about my work. You can't save yourself. You can't redeem yourself. I'm going to do it for you. So teach your children to bring an offering to me as they will then look forward to the day when I will provide an offering for all sin. So they taught their kids that. Abel gets it. He brings an offering to the Lord. Cain doesn't get it or doesn't accept that way. He wants to do it himself. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were vulnerable. They were insecure. The first thing Adam does is blame Eve. You know the story, right? God says, hey, Adam, why'd you sin? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I know, I know that I sinned, but did you know that Eve sinned first? God said, of course I know, you big dummy. I watched it, but I'm, I'm holding you accountable because I told you that you were, in, you were the, the one I was going to hold accountable, that you're the leader of the family. But, 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 but God, but God, she did it first. God says, I don't care. I'm talking to you. Isn't that funny how it all works when we we get caught in our sin? Adam blames Eve, and he tries to make her out to be the worst sinner, more guilty than him. You know, isn't it weird how we all do this? Why, Why is there this notion within us, this nature within us, that always tries to deflect criticism and judgment that we deserve by pointing out that others deserve it more or worse? Have you ever done this? Of course you have. Yeah, I know I'm guilty, but have you seen them? Yeah, I've seen them. I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you, right? Try that when you, I hope you never have to go to court, but try that when you go to court. Well, I know I'm guilty, but what about those people? Is that why you're here today to talk about them? Right? God says, whoa, 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 Adam, that's not why you're here. That's not why I'm talking to you. But why do we do this? Don't you do this? 
Well, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but have you seen them? They make me look good. It's almost like we like that somebody else out there is making us look good. Have you ever noticed about, that, about our species, that, that, about the world? And, you know, this is really the premise. And I know nobody here is a fan of it, and, it, and we've seen how awful it is. But have, this is really the premise of cancel culture, you know, that thing that's been going around for the last decade or so. It really stems from this place of insecurity. There's this thing in us, there's this thing in us that seizes the opportunity to shame and silence others. It's really the overflow of our own insecurity. It's like we feel good when we expose others for being worse than us. Now, I get why the world does it, but why, I get why non-believers do it. Because they don't have faith in Jesus. They don't have the security of Jesus. They're not resting in his provision like we should be. But there's no excuse for Christians to ever be on board for that kind of nonsense. You say, well, you know, uh, but we don't do that. But we still kind of do. We might not be a part of the cultural movement, but we, we, know, we still do it in our own way. We've been boycotting and protesting and pointing the fingers at generations, right? For generations. Uh, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. When we should be resting in Jesus and unmoved by those that are different than us, those that may be doing things that we don't approve of, uh, we should be resting in Jesus and unbothered by those things. Not that we're not burdened, but we shouldn't be angry. I warn us about this because cancel culture is really this extension of this hostile nature in all of us. This secretly that's been canceling and judging people in our own minds since we were, since we were kids. We've been making a list and keeping it and checking it twice since we were little, since we were old enough to get angry at people, since we were old enough to hold grudges at people. And that's the question I want to ask you. Why do we get angry? Why do we hold grudges? Cain gets angry at Abel, but Abel didn't do anything to Cain. Now, I think this is relatable because all of us get angry at people or get angry at groups of people when they didn't really do anything to us. And we might can connect the dots somehow, some way, and say, yeah, but you know, I was offended. And it bothered me. And that bother became an anger. And that anger became a grudge. And that grudge became bitterness. And now I'm who I am today. Cain gets angry at Abel because God approved Abel's offering, not his. But, but Abel, Abel was just resting in God's provision, a picture of what Jesus would do. Cain was resting in himself trusting in the work of his own hands and God rejects his offering for his own good but then he goes and gets angry at Abel you know there are people there are people that I'm just going to assume here for a minute and I know that's dangerous but I'm going to assume this because I think it's true there are people that you're angry at that you don't like that you have something against and that maybe they never even did anything to you because I have people that I'm angry at that they didn't really do anything to me but somehow someway they made me angry and I stayed angry, and I'm still angry. Our anger stems from this disapproval that we have of how they're living or what they're getting by with. Have you ever got aggravated at somebody because they got by with something that you would never get by with? And they're getting by with something, and what does that do to you? It makes you angry, and it makes you kind of a mean person, and you don't even know why you are angry at them anymore, but you just look at it, and you, you think, I would never get by with that. And I'm like, are you jealous? Do you want to get by with it, right? Do you, I mean, do you want to do what they're doing? I mean, of course not, right? But I'm still kind of angry about it, right? Does that resonate with anybody? Maybe just a little? I think religion, I'm going to blame somebody else, not you. I think religion has made a lot of us think it's okay to be angry all the time. Because anger and bitterness sometimes gets built up as this virtue, as this admirable thing. 
But, but ultimately, and again, I, I know that you might think, well, Justin, I, I got a little bit of, I got some questions to ask you, and we'll get there about anger. But the origin of anger, this is the first time we ever see anger. The origin story of anger is in a heart of a person who isn't anchored in the Lord. If Cain would have just been anchored in the Lord and trusting in God and resting in God, he would have never gotten angry at Abel. And of course, Abel was doing the right thing. But even if Abel wasn't doing the right thing, he would have never been distracted by what Abel was doing. God tells Cain, he says, if you trust in me, if you rest in me, if you keep your eyes on me, don't worry about other people. Oh, that's hard to do, isn't it? Don't worry about those people, but they're, they're bothering me. I know they are, but don't worry about them. Look at me. You'll overcome the anger. You'll overcome the anger problem if you rest in the Lord. You see, but the, the, the deal is, Cain didn't realize he had an anger problem because his religion made him feel like his anger was justified. And what, what kind of religion, you ask? It's what he made up. Hey, I'm going to bring my work to God, and God's going to be happy with me because of what I'm doing for him. And hey, I'm better than everybody else. Look at what I'm doing. Nobody works as hard as me. Nobody does as good as me. Nobody is, is as nice as me or as good to people as I am. Hey, this is my religion. And a lot of us, I think we kind of fall into that. Now, again, Cain's not angry at God. He's angry at Abel because he thinks that God is happy with Abel and not him. And of course, that's true. But God says, hey, Cain, you better get this, better figure this out. Because sin is like a lion praying over you. Not good kind of praying. I mean, P-R-E-Y, right? But let's read how the story goes, because it doesn't go anywhere good. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now, this is really kind of one of the most understated verses of the Bible. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, that's the kind of person that you don't ever want to be around, because he was angry and Abel didn't know it, right? Now, some people are angry and you can tell it. Apparently, Cain was so angry, he was just you know, borderline some other issues. But he goes to talk to Abel. I don't know what they talked about. Maybe they tried to talk about the weather. That didn't work out. He gets angry. He kills him. Now, back in the day, they weren't as civilized as we were. So we don't know what happened. We just know that, hey, they were hanging out. And then next thing you know it, there's not but one of them left. And, and I make light of it, but, but it's very serious, right? He rose up or he tackled him and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? God has a way of always asking the most awkward questions, right? Adam, where are you? Well, I'm hiding. You know where I'm at. Where is Abel? And Abel, and, and Cain responds like any, uh, anybody with an anger problem. Is, 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 am I my brother's keeper? Well, apparently you are because you were so worried about him a little bit ago and got angry because I blessed him and not you. But now I just want to ask you, hey, if you're so worried, if you're so keeping tabs on Abel, where's he at? Hmm about that. And God says, I know where he's at. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you will be on the earth. So Cain's anger leads him to literally taking Abel's life and basically losing his own way. Now, I know that's an extreme example, an extreme story. You're angry at a lot of people, doesn't mean you're going to kill them. I understand, right? But still, that's the first example of anger in the Bible and how God tries to prevent it from getting this out of hand. Should pay, we should pay attention to that. Again, you know why I, should take, we should, I think we should take this very, very, very seriously? 
It's the first instance of anger leading to irreversible damage in a person's relationships with their brother, with their sister, family, whoever, with their brother and with God. The very first example of anger in the Bible, what does it do? It causes irreversible damage to a relationship between two people and a relationship between a person and God. I mean, that's a big deal, isn't it? The very first example of anger, it causes irreversible damage. And the origin of that anger? The origin of that anger is a person was not trusting or resting in God, but was relying on themselves to feel validated, vindicated, and justified in this life. Was worried about building themselves up and willing to knock somebody else down if it meant having somebody to stand up on and be a little bit higher. Now, I know this is broad, but could it be that all anger, this is where your hand's going to go up and ask some questions. I hear you. I'm going to answer them. But could it be that all anger is just as dangerous? Could it be that all anger comes from the same place of us trying to justify ourselves, us trying to vindicate ourselves? Could be that all anger comes from that same place and can cause as much damage to all of us. I know you've got questions. There's a lot of pushback, but if we're going to talk about this for what it is, God sees something bubbling in the heart of one of the first people. He hurries, he intervenes because he knew what it would lead to. And you know what it would lead to? Unchecked anger, unresolved anger has, potential, has the potential to drive us completely away from God. Isn't that what happens in the story? Cain goes and kills his brother and then ends up wandering in the wilderness, crying out for God, but never really getting back to him. This is a major warning for all of us going forward, because this is a problem I think all of us struggle with. Sustained and harbored anger and hate is the result of a disconnect between us and God and will lead to further isolation between us and those that we are closest to and, those, and of course, between us and God. I tell you, this is so revelatory. This is so important. And I know what's going on right now, not because I'm a prophet and I can see your hearts, but there's some hearts today that are starting to get a little bit sensitive because you've got some anger in them, in there. And you feel like the anger is there for a reason, and I know it is. You feel like that this sermon isn't to you because you're angry for some good reasons. But maybe some of you are angry for some weird, abstract reasons. Regardless, if you've got anger in your heart, I don't care why it's there. I don't care what your reason is. It's the result of you and God having something of a disconnect. And it will lead to a further divide, and it will lead to isolation from everyone in this life. Now, a lot of us have never been challenged in our anger. We've been so angry about being angry that people are scared to talk to us about it. A lot of us, we've never been confronted about our hate. Religion has often excused our hate, supported our hate even, protected us from being convicted in it. But listen closely, if you never hear another point from another preacher. There's plenty of better preachers out there, but I, I think this is a pretty good one. If you never hear another, another sermon in your life, I want you to hear this. Christianity will never and has never made us comfortable in our anger and hate. It will always challenge us and disrupt the grip it has on us and the commitment we have to it, because a lot of us are committed to our anger. 
Because God's goal since we fell into sin was to give us peace and set us free and use us for his glory. But within all of us is what I'll call a hostile nature. If you're feeling hostile toward me today, hey, I'm just the messenger, right? It's there. The reason it's so easy for a group of people to agree about piling on another group of people because we disagree with them is, the, is because behind every group of people are individual people who have long protected their own hostile returns. And, and let me explain. The reason you can turn on the news of your, your favorite local news channel, favorite cable news channel, or w- watch something online, the reason you can get so on board with uh, disagreeing with someone and, 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 feel, and, and agreeing that someone is dangerous to society is because in all of us, we've been doing that since we were kids. The reason cancel culture is so popular on the right and the left, hey, let's silence this person, let's get rid of this person, let's pretend this person isn't even real anymore, let's just remove this person from, let's take a microphone from this person. The reason that's so popular is we've been doing that in our own private and personal lives since we were kids. We've got people that we dislike, and really dislike is too sanitized of a word. We have people that we strongly dislike, that it wouldn't hurt our feelings if we never saw them again, and we never heard from them again, right? That's just true. We've got people on a list somewhere deep in our hearts that we've silenced. We've just erased. We don't even acknowledge they're real. Some of those people we either avoid as much as we can. We have to see, but we'd rather not. We've got this hostile nature that doesn't need much of a push to enforce this this rule in our world. And I think the reason why we're often so giddy about certain people being, you know, erased from the public sphere is because deep down in us that we kind of, deep down inside us, we kind of wish we could do that in our own lives. It'd be so nice if I can just mm, excise that person from my sphere. I don't want to hurt them. I just want to get rid of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I know this is dark and sinister, but there's no way to talk about it out loud without it sounding dark and sinister because it's what it is. It's what we all have got inside of us. But here's the deal. I don't like to say that I hate anybody. I don't like to admit that. I don't have hate in my heart. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm angry at anybody in a sustained, harboring way. But, but, but if I'm being honest, I've got some emotions in my heart towards certain people that are far from positive and loving. Let's just say that. And call a spade a spade. You know what that is? It's, it's, it's anger. It's hatred. Maybe a little bit, not a lot, but it's, it's, it's hatred. It's anger. And it's created tension. It's created separation between me and them. And you may say, well, there's a good reason why I've been separated. I, I get it. I hear you. I mean, it's not all from the same place of anger and, and hatred. Can, will you confess with me today? Can anybody confess with me today that, that this is going on in our hearts? That we've got some emotions that <laughs> we don't want to call them hate. But they're not loving. And don't mishear me. We develop hate and we feel hate for justifiable reasons some of you have some good reasons reasons that would put me in tears if i heard them and i'm being serious some of you have some really good reasons and really good is not the right word but you have some legitimate reasons as to why you hate someone as to why you are angry towards someone or some group of people and i know what somebody's thinking justin my hate and my anger isn't nonsensical like Cain's was i was hurt by someone I hear you. God hears you. God loves you. You were hurt by somebody. Or a whole group of people have hurt you or said things about us as Christians that you don't like and it bothers you. I get it. It bothers me too. God understands that you may have been hurt in ways that are 
completely uncalled for and completely out of his will. But God also wants you to know that if you bring that hurt to him, listen, that person's not going to undo what they did to you. No amount of I'm sorry is going to undo that pain they caused you. The only source of healing for you is God. I know what they should do. I know they should say sorry. I get it. But that is not going to cure your heart. That is not going to cure your wound. God says, and I, I, I'm not just blowing smoke. God says, if you bring that hurt to me, I'll heal you. But that anger and that hatred, you've got to let it go. You hear me? I know this brings up all kinds of things, divorce and, and abuse and all sort of things that happen in our personal lives. I get it. It's hard to hear. But that anger and that hate, God says, listen, I'll heal you of that hurt. And I hear that hurt. And I, it angers, you know, it bothers God that they hurt you. But God says, God says, I'll heal your heart. But that anger, that hate, I can't get rid of it for you. You have got to let it go. Otherwise, it will never let you go. And you'll end up in a far worse place. Is it fair that that's the condition of the world? No. Is God working to redeem it? Yes. But that's the mess that we are in. And God says, I'll heal your heart. And one day I'll wipe away those tears. But that anger and that hate, you have got to let it go because it will do to you much worse than it did to Cain. Let me just run through a few things for you. Hate, no matter how justified, has never taken anyone to a better place. Show me someone that has, been, that has got hatred and anger in their heart, they have not, they're not in a better place. I'm not saying they don't have a reason to be where they are, but they're not better off than they were. Well, no joke, Justin. They shouldn't have gotten hurt. I can't undo that. You can't either. But God says, that hate and that anger, it hasn't taken you a better place. Hate, no matter how appropriate in the moment, hate has never created a healthy heart in the long run. It's just facts, right? This isn't rocket science, right? This isn't inspiration. This is just truth. Hate has never made a heart better off in the long run. Of course it hasn't. No matter how empowered hate, hate makes you feel today, it will always leave us with wounded and weak hearts tomorrow. Because here's the deal. Hate and anger say to somebody, to someone that legitimately hurt us, hate and anger say, you owe me. And that's what's in your heart the whole time. You hate somebody, you're angry at somebody, you owe me. They owe us. I am owed something by them. They took something from me. They took something from us. They took our voice away. They took my, you know, they, they damaged me in some personal way from a specific uh, personal approach to a broad cultural approach, right? The reason we hate, the reason we're angry, we say they owe us something. And listen, Anger may come from a reasonable place, but I promise you, because literally God intervened the first time he saw the likes of in a heart. Anger may come from a reasonable, rational place, but it never behaves or functions in a reasonable and rational way. When anger gets a hold of us, it takes control of us. A few things you should know about anger. Anger is never fully and finally satisfied. Anger is like your appetite. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets, right? Have you ever decided, hey, I'm less hungry than I was? When you feed yourself, right, you get more hungry. You're gonna get hungry every little bit. Because an appetite, and not just hungry for food, but any kind of appetite that you feed, it gets bigger, it grows. The, you feed it and fuel it because it's hungry when you're hurt and you're angry and you want to dwell on it and focus on it and explain it and defend it. All you're doing is enlarging and enraging it. Here's something else about anger. 
Anger is always building interest. The interest rates in the bank of anger are astronomic. As in, anger starts out and it's on a 10, 20% interest, right? And it's building and building and building. And tomorrow, anger is going to demand more from you than it did yesterday. And next week, it's going to demand more from you than it does this week. Those are the worst kind of credit cards, right? The interest just gets bigger and bigger and you never catch up. That's what anger is doing in your heart. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So you want to know the solution to anger? Get ready. Write this down. The solution to anger, the only proven way you're going to overcome anger is to cancel the debt. I know that's not what you wanted to hear, right? The only way that you're going to solve anger in your heart, because I can't guarantee that somebody else is going to walk in and fix it on their end. And even if they do, the only way you're going to fix that anger problem is cancel the debt. There are people you're angry at, groups of people that you're angry at, people you hate and are hateful to. Maybe you remember why you became angry, maybe you don't anymore, but listen, they'll never be able to pay you back what your anger demands. They'll never, because that anger has demanded more and more interest, it's grown, it's appreciated, it's accrued more and more demands. Anger will never be satisfied, so the only way to fix it is for you to cancel debt. God told Cain, you're harboring anger is playing with wildfire. You must cancel the debt before you are the one in debt to anger. Now, so nobody thinks I'm making this stuff up. Let me ask you a question and then we're going to show you, I'm going to show you some rapid fire Bible verses that I want you to make note of, write down and memorize. We all agree that our sin makes us in debt to God, right? That's not a, that's a Bible 101 thing, right? Our sin makes us in debt to God. And maybe you're angry at someone, maybe you hate someone because they sinned against you. Or you don't approve of the sins they're committing against God. So you've chosen to be angry at them. So let me just ask you a question. What if God chose to be angry at us for all our sins against him? He's holy. He's perfect. He has every right to be angry at us. Yet, come on, we know what his posture towards us is. You, You know where this is going. For God so loved the world, not he was so angry at the world that he got even. No. And was there a legitimate reason to be angry? Of course, we, we messed everything up that he made. <laughs> For God so loved the world. Now let's go deeper. Jesus comes, he's rejected by the very people he came to save. They put him on a cross, they mock him, they jeer at him, they blaspheme him. God's watching all this. Imagine if you're God in this moment. And of course, we're not God, so we don't even know what it was like. But imagine you're God the Father, and you watch what the human race is doing to Jesus. We blew it in Eden, we blew it for generations, and then the Bible says that Jesus came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. Not only did they not receive him, they put him on a cross. In the moment when God's anger should have been the hottest and obviously the most justifiable, and anger isn't even even the right word, when God was full of wrath towards sin and sinners because of what sin did to his son. When all that crescendoed, you know what Jesus did in that moment? When God's wrath was the hottest it had ever been, when God was ready to burn it all down, He said, Father, forgive them. 
for they don't know what they're doing. I think they knew what they were doing. I think I know what I'm doing when I sin. I think you know what you're doing when you sin. But Jesus said, Father. And God looked down and thinking, are you for real? You got the power, Jesus. You can do whatever you want. You can call 10,000 angels. We'll burn it to the ground. Hell will fill up. You really want to cancel, cancel the debt? Yeah. Do it. Jesus, you know what that means? I'm going to have to. You're going to suffer for all their sin. And the world quit turning. The sun quit shining because nobody could watch what happened to Jesus when he suffered the wrath of God for us. God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So Christians, we don't have an excuse, do we? And that's why the New Testament is filled with verses like this, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's why when Peter asked Jesus, hey, how often should I forgive my brother that sins against me? Jesus said 70 times 7 as in forever and ever and ever. I know I'm giving it to you quickly, but you get the idea, don't you? That's why when, when, when Jesus taught about forgiveness, he said something this, and this is crazy. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses because if you have been forgiven by God, you know what it means to be released from the debt. So therefore, you will release others. You will cancel the debt because you know the danger of keeping anger around. Our capacity for God is entirely, is entirely based on love and forgiveness. He cannot and will not fill our hearts if there is one ounce of anger or hate in our hearts. Just like Cain, it empties us of God, it drives us away from him. One ounce of hate in our hearts prevents us from receiving the fullness of God. Hatred is a shackle around our ankle, keeping us from resting in God's forgiveness and keeping us from sharing it. Now, to close out, I ask you to turn to 1 John 3. I want you to look with me at 1 John 3, verses 10 through 15, and we'll be done in a minute. But this is John trying to capture the Christian ethic, trying to define Christianity the best that he can. John in 1 John 3, verse 10 through 15, this is what John says, and he's going to remind you of a story that we just read about. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's was righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. 
Don't be distracted by the world being against you. Don't be full of hatred and anger because the world is against you. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. You say, well, who's my brother? Who's my sister? It's the people that Christ died for. Who did Christ die for? He died for everybody. Can you get any more clearly? Jesus put it this way. You have heard that it is said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I got something else to say to you. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Listen to this. If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that you have something against, something between you and your brother or sister, if you're at the altar worshiping God and it, it dawns on you, there's anger in your heart, there's hate in your heart, there's hate in someone else's heart towards you and you can do something about it. If it dawns on you while you're worshiping the Lord that there's anger and there's hatred that you've excused, leave your gift there at the altar and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come back to church and start singing Amazing Grace. Whew. Church, we believe, we believe in redemption, that God redeems us from our sins. We believe that God puts us in a relationship with Jesus. We believe that relationship renews us and restores us to new life. And we believe in reconciliation. We believe that if we have been reconciled with God, we will seek to be reconciled to one another. That's what we believe. If they won't receive forgiveness, if we physically can't go and extend it, that doesn't mean we still can't cancel the debt. Because we believe there's no masquerading in church. If we're right with God within our power, we will be right with others. And if we can't go to them, it's not safe. It's not, it doesn't make sense. They're not here anymore. You and your heart can cancel the debt and be right with them. Church, we should be a people that looks for ways, creates ways to reconcile with our brother and sister. It may be controversial. Religion may contribute to the divide to build walls, but... We believe in reconciliation. Second Corinthians says that we are ambassadors to the world of reconciliation. And what kind of hypocrites are we if we who have been forgiven don't forgive others? Can't go a sermon without throwing this one in. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're mine if you love one another. They're not going to know us by our church attendance. They're not going to know us by our knowledge. They're not going to know us by our charitable good deeds. They're not going to know us by how we dress or what we look like or how we sing. They're going to know us by the love that we have for them. And you can't love if you've got hate and you can't love if you've got anger. We forgive and we love. 
Jesus says, get up from worship, put away the hypocrisy, cancel the debt, let the anger go, let the hatred go, because he let go of his wrath towards you. He let go of your sin. If God was angry, we'd be buried and in hell already. But because God so loved us, he raised us up. Therefore, we must love one another. We must forgive. We must cancel the debt. And here's what I know God's doing in your heart. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that God loves you, and I want you to let God love you, I want you to know that God loves you. If you believe that God loves you unconditionally, that he forgives your sins, you are gonna be so uncomfortable harboring hatred and and anger in your heart, especially now that you've heard this. Not because I had the magic words, but because God's word confronts us. God wants to fill you with his love and make you an agent and an ambassador in his kingdom, but he can't do that. If you let anger and hatred harbor and linger in your heart, if we are ever going to be going to receive the fullness of God, we have got to let go of all anger and hatred. You say, Justin, why, why do you put this on the list of things that are so important to us? Because Jesus said, they won't know you're mine. If you're as angry and hateful and bitter as they are, they're going to know you're mine when you love them and forgive them like God has forgiven you. So there's no excuse. God has given us all the grace we need, grace to heal, grace to forgive. I just want to send the invitation out. If there's somebody here today, you've got anger in your heart and hatred in your heart for a person or a group of people, I'm not saying it's not there for a reason. I'm not saying that they shouldn't make it right. But all I'm saying is they might not ever. Are you going to wait for them to heal your heart? Or are you going to come to the God who says, I'll heal you, I'll forgive you, and I'll release you from that debt. And I'll use you to love them even when they don't love you. It comes down to, do you want a heart that's healthy? Or do you want a heart that's sick? If we're going to be the people of God, we've got to have healthy hearts. And anger and hatred have no place and a heart of a Christian. God wants to help us today. So would you let him heal you, release you, and change you? Because he can, and he will. Maybe the reason why you've been so angry for so long is because you've never gotten rid of something that should have been taken care of a long time ago. God can do it. Will you come? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Lord, my heart is so convicted because I've got feelings in my heart toward people that I don't even know. They don't even know me. They run the world. They run the country, and I'm angry at them because I don't know why they get by with stuff. I'm angry toward all kind of people that, I never, that nobody will, they will never even know who I am, but I'm angry at them for some reason because I'm jealous of them or I'm hurt by them. And God, I'm angry at people that hurt me. I'm angry at people that lied to me that took from me and that did me wrong. I'm angry at people that are close to me that they don't even realize I'm still angry at them, but I am. Because things that happen, they'll never be able to undo. And even if they tell me I'm sorry, what's that gonna do? Make me feel better? No. God, I've got anger and hate in my heart and and I need you to heal me of it and heal me from it and release me from it. And Lord, I need by your power today, the grace to let them go, to release them. And every time I'm reminded of that anger and that hatred, Lord, would you remind me more and more greatly of your love and of your forgiveness? And if you've forgiven me, that I can forgive them. If you love me, I can love anybody. And if the world's gonna ever know about Jesus, 
This is where it starts. God, help hearts today. Heal us, release us, and make us new in Jesus' name. Amen.